0: We are reading this morning from uh, Philippians chapter 3. That's Philippians chapter 3, and it's verses 12 until the end of the chapter. Not that I have already attained, or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus had also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if any and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example and note those Who so walk, as you have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it will be transformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able, even to subdue all things to himself. Amen.
1: We're going to look at a goal, but this morning we're going to end up on the great theme of glory. And if that will never ignite your soul, I don't know what other uh, subject will. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it, in relation to heaven, that for the Christian, we know this, the best is yet to be. The best is yet to be as we press on towards the goal. I have a a brother as an attorney in Malibu and often he goes to visit some of uh, his friends in Texas. And I'm reminded of Texans who love things rather big of the guy who came to visit, a friend of mine who was a a farmer, who had a very small farm on the west coast of Ireland. And the Texan, he said to this Irish farmer, he said, you know, he said, my ranch is so vast, he said, that I would drive my automobile all day, and I would never get round the ranch. And the Irish farmer replied with a twinkle in his eye, he said, well, he said, to be sure, he said, my car's a bit like that too. (laughs) (laughs) Now, it's very easy to exaggerate. But as we come soon to look at the glorious prospect of the Christian, there's no exaggeration this morning. Now, before we get to that, those final verses, pressing on towards uh, the goal, this is what we're going to think. First of all, I want you to look at the purpose. We've been focusing it on this morning, haven't we? To live for Christ. Circumstances and people can rob us of joy, and so can things. There's a thief that Paul deals with in Philippians 3. But Paul has a wonderful prospect as he presses towards these things. But this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Although I've lived in Ireland for 34 years, I grew up in Leeds. It's through the Young Life Group that I became a Christian but I went to a school just outside Leeds called Full Neck in Pudsey. And I always remember there was a most interesting guy called Norris. Norris had been at another public school and he'd been expelled. Because rather, one night, rather worse for wear, and having had an argument with his rugby tutor, he went out and he sawed the rugby post down. The ultimate sin, I think, in any public school. <laughs> And he arrived at my school. He survived about two years and then went to another establishment. But anyway, that's a different story. There was no goal to go for. Isn't it sad, isn't it, that we live in a, in a society, the number two killer amongst young people is suicide. And you know, it's so sad, isn't it, when people are taught they're just merely a blobs that came about by a big bang millions of years ago. There's no point And yet, you know, there's a wonderful God who says, no, I love you, I made you, I I died for you, I want to forgive you. And Paul says this in relation to his race, that we need to have a purpose, and that is to live for Christ. C.S. Lewis, the famous Ulsterman. If you go to Belfast, you'll see they've built a a monument as the wardrobe. On the lion, the witch and the wardrobe, he said this, anything that is not eternal is eternally out of date. Anything that is not eternal, is eternally out of date. First of all, how do we achieve this goal? First of all, I want to suggest this, that there's a holy dissatisfaction. Verse 12, Not as though I had already or attained, all this, or, or have already been made perfect. Many Christians are self-satisfied, because they compare their running with other Christians. But Paul, we know, was satisfied with Christ, but he was not altogether satisfied with his Christian life. Can I just suggest this this morning? A sanctified dissatisfaction is the first essential to the progress in the Christian life. As we become, not perfect, but the word is mature, we begin to see ourselves in a true perspective. Many years ago, when mirrors had been uh, brought in uh, to Ireland, there was a guy who looked at the mirror, and as he looked at the mirror, he said, that's a spitting image of my grandfather. (laughs) didn't realise he was looking at himself. (laughs) A bit like Vinnie wearing a little bit well. But it's amazing, isn't it? Sometimes when we look into the mirror of God's Word, it begins to show up the faults that we are. And I believe this, that as we begin to walk with God, and as we begin to compare ourselves To the one who lived a dazzling life of purity, Jesus Christ, we see this so often we feel we fall short in so many different ways. Self-evaluation can be a dangerous thing because there are two directions we can go in. One, we can make ourselves better than we are, or we can make ourselves worse than we are. Paul had no illusions about himself. He still had to keep pressing on to lay hold on that for which Christ had called him. As the heart pants after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O oh God. My soul thirsteth for the living God. Secondly, there was a holy devotion because he said this, this one thing I do, this one thing I do, do, Jesus said to the rich young ruler, one thing thou lackest, go and sell your possessions to the poor, come and follow me. One thing is needful, Jesus said to Martha when she criticised the system. One thing I know, explained the man who received sight by the power of Christ. They're all arguing about different things. He said this, one thing I know, once I was blind, but now I see. One of the greatest critics, answers to the higher critics, the power of a changed life. It's so easy to be involved in many things, but Paul focused his efforts on reaching lost men and women for Jesus Christ, establishing churches, building up, uh, uh, the body of Christ, how easy it is for the pressures of life, for an absorbing career to begin to overtake us. And I was saying to the VIP group, the 11s to 15s, yesterday, yesterday night when I was speaking to them, and Lord bless Paul and Heather and Steve Taylor as they're dealing with the new generation that's coming on. It's so important to make priorities right, Put, make first things first. A father stood by the grave of his son, who had died suddenly in his twenties. His son was a wonderful, dedicated Christian. His dad, whilst a Christian, had become lukewarm in his faith. And reflecting upon his son's life and death, later that evening, he wrote these words in the quietness of his office. I counted dollars, but God counted crosses. I counted gains, while he counted losses. I counted my worth, but the things gained in store. But he sized me up, for the scars that I bore. I counted honours and sought for degrees. He wept, as he counted the hours on my knees. And I never knew till one day by a grave, how vain are the things we spent life to save. I did not yet know until Jim went above, the richest is he who is rich in God's love. And I want to say this, that we should never be like the committee who said this, aim on whatever you hit call the target. No, we shouldn't be like that. We should have a direct purpose. What is our purpose? To preach Christ and to bring as many as humanly possible to heaven to share with glory. Do you know there's one thing that you will never ever be able to do when you get to heaven? And that is to witness to people about Jesus. And the Bible says this, that we need to glorify God in joy and forever in terms of reaching lost and building a church for uh, the bride of Christ. The purpose. Secondly, I want you to notice the prize. In this amazing race, Paul gives four top hints on how to complete the race successfully. First of all, he says, forget those things which are behind. Forget those things which are behind. There's a right way in which we can rejoice, haven't we? We have a tremendous legacy in beach missions. We've got great, the history of the church, we don't know whether we're at the end. I suspect we're not too far from it. But great men like Bunyan, like the Puritan, like Spurgeon, like J.C. Ryle. You read the greats of history, the Living Stones, the C.T. Studs. We could go on and on. Men and women who have left a fantastic legacy for us, and it's right that we should learn from the past. But, Paul says this, in relation to living for the future, forget those things which are behind. A friend of mine came up to, a good friend of mine, Val English, who's a very senior pastor in Northern Ireland. And he came to Val, he said, Val, he said, what we need is the good old days. And he said, no, he said, we don't need the good old days. I tell you what, it's not the good old days we want, but it's the good old ways translated into a culture in a contemporary way in which we live. We cannot change the past, but we can look on it with meaning as God frees us to work for the future. Do you remember Joseph through terrible things as he went, betrayed by his own brothers, put into a pit... And oh, he could have lived in the bitterness of that past. But he said, this: you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Some Christian runners are being distracted by the successes of the past. Beach missions is nearly 53, 54 years old. You say, how do you know that, Stephen? I was halfway there on the first beach mission. It was founded in 1953 by my father and Lance Pibblos and I was... And it's been six months, okay, uh, uh, on the way there, being born on the 7th of December. Just in case Vinnie forgets my birthday, the 7th of December. <laughs> and I can remember growing up in a red-hot atmosphere people who loved Jesus. I remember listening to crowds as a youngster, sometimes three, four hundred on the promenade. I saw people pleading with souls. I saw the cross preached in a winsome and a powerful way from God's scriptures. Uh, from the scriptures. I remember as a youngster hearing my dad pour out in his passionate preaching and he said this that God allowed his son to go to a cross and he said if people had done to my son what God allowed to do His Son, I would want to wipe them to an oblivion. I can tell you this, as you're an 11-year-old hearing preaching like that, and the power of the Scriptures, it resonated within you. And then to see holiday makers beginning to make their way out publicly, going back to hotel rooms to trust Christ. They were amazing days, and I praise God for the memory banks of those. But, we realise that we live in a different society, in a post-Christian era, in a secular society, and what Paul is saying is this. is the God who is, was there then is the God who is here now. And forgetting those things which are behind but pressing on towards the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Forget those things which are behind. although learn from them. But next, focus on heaven. I press towards the goal that he has called me heavenwards. There's different ways you can think of a splinter going towards a, a, a finishing line. Another image, probably more likely, is the guy who was on a chariot with a wheel this side, a wheel the other, and the horse uh, drawn a chariot as they were uh, going down the, <coughs> uh, 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 and the dust was flying along the, uh, 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 the Roman Colosseum, and he's leaning out and he's, he's beating, as it were, the horse, and he's straining forth with every muscle and every sinew of his being, stretching as in a race. God calls us to a balanced life. But let's say this, beware of the perils of easing up. I'm going to do something now <laughs> that will kick me for afterwards. But I want any of those who have been leading beach missions for... 25, 30 years and over, will you please stand up? Okay, just stand up. If you've been leading beach missions for 25, come on. stand up. Okay, there's one there. Okay, let's stand up. There's other ones. I see another one at the back. God bless you. Okay, you keep standing. Come on, let's give them a big clap. Okay, well done. That's great, isn't it? Okay, fantastic. Fantastic. Take a seat there. Now. now, there are pastors, there are missionaries. My mentor was none of my father, but Mike Barry, who you heard, I probably thought I tormented him. I probably did that as well. But he mentored me. He would drive round on a Friday night through Belfast, 60 miles picking up different people. He was, he, he won't mind me saying this, one of the most uncool youth workers. He'd stand with his sandals, okay, with his socks turned the other way off, really short, uh, in the open air, and you know what? No wonder we got a crowd. <laughs> it was brilliant. <laughs> but you know this. Hundreds of young people, and that's no exaggeration over the years that Mike and Harmony, they queued at his door for his spiritual advice. And I want to thank them. At the age of 70, Mike is standing and really witnessing with such a powerful message on the cross of Jesus this morning. Trevor's done 50 years on beach missions. There are others. And what we're saying is this. As a 53-year-old, I need models to aspire to. Men and women who are on blaze for Jesus Christ. One indelible memory on my mind is my father at the conference at the Cliff College, where he spoke to some two to 300 leaders from the United Beach Missions. He'd just been diagnosed with cancer, and he was given the subject on surviving in the pressure cooker of leadership. He began to reminisce how a Christian had gone up and approached him. And he said, Werner, now that you've been diagnosed with cancer, does it not want to make you ease up? And with a twinkle in his eye, he said this, No, he said, when you see the finishing tape, it makes you want to run a bit faster. It's a wonderful truth. But as we may not have all our bodily faculties that we can use, but boy, I know there are people who pray, there are people who work. 2 Timothy 4, eight. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall award me on that day. 1 Peter 5, 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that fadeth not away. How wonderful that is. There was a missionary who returned home from Africa having spent years there. He was on the same boat as President Theodore Roosevelt. And as he came back, there was no one to meet him at the quayside as he trudged through the lonely streets in the province in the, in the west. There was nobody to meet him. And he was feeling so discouraged. And a voice said to him, As he walked down, he said within himself, I'm home and there's no one here. And a little voice then began to say, But you're not home. You're not home. Because God wants to remind us that it's a heavenward calling. Then thirdly, stay on course. How easy it is to get sidetracked by secondary issues. One of the thrills of working in United Beach Missions is to work with Christians from different denominations who are agreed on the fundamentals of the gospel but differ on secondary issues. But nevertheless, maintain a work that has blessed thousands over the years and is now operating in approximately seven different countries. With God's help, we've been enabled to maintain, to make the main thing the main thing. Look at verse 15. And all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. How sad it is that many Christian works have been destroyed over differences of secondary issues. Listen to what Matthew Henry says, this great Bible commentator. This was the thing wherein all good Christians were agreed to make Christ all in all and to set their hearts upon another world. Therefore, let us walk by the same rule and mind the same thing, having made Christ our all. To us to live must be Christ. Christians who differ in smaller matters should bear with one another because they are agreed in the main thing. If anything, you be otherwise minded. You must not judge one another while you all meet now in Christ as your centre and hope to meet shortly in heaven as your home. And then it says, God shall reveal even this unto you. Whatever it is wherein you differ, you must wait until gives, God gives you a better understanding. As far as you have attained, you must go together in the ways of God and wait for further light in the minor things wherein you differ. A Christian senior pastor said to this to me, and I said in the question panel last year, "It's amazing how God uses people who disagree with me, and it is." And yet, oh, what a wonderful God that we, that we have. My father grew up in Bedford. He became a Christian through the work of young life. And yet he loved to meet with people from different denom- evangelical denominations who had the Bible as the centre, the finished work of Christ, uh, uh, the centre of their preaching and the, by faith alone. And yet he loved, as we do in beach missions, to meet men and women from whatever background who have a heart for God, a love for his word, and who want to go on. And that can be a tremendous blessing. My dad's dad died when he was only uh, my father was only six years of age. The last memory he had was of his mother, who raised him in a tenement house in, in Bedford, taking him to see his dad. He was dressed in a little white suit, and he saw his dad, who was a merchant seaman, just lying there in bed. He never knew whether his dad was converted. But one day, my father was invited to a great apostolic Pentecostal conference. Different church, different style of worship. He just loved to meet people who loved Jesus. He was so glad that he went, because they loved the Word. And afterwards this godly pastor came up he said, "Tell me this Vernon. he said, "Was your dad called Thomas?" He said, "Yeah, Thomas Frank. He said, "Did he live in Devonport?" He said, "Yes, he did. He said, "Let me tell you this. In the final number of the year, I visited, and I had the joy of leading him to Christ." My dad dissolved in tears and he wasn't that sort of person. To think one day he would see his dad again. Hey, there are tremendous blessings as we make the, the main thing the main thing. But we live and we work with those who love Jesus and who begin to want to work with him. And then stick with the winners. Join with others in the, uh, who are keen Christians. The Bible says iron sharpens iron. And we have been blessed in this land will it's by the brilliant expository ministry of John Stott, who preached his last sermon at Keswick, and who wrote that great book, Basic Christianity, or a Martin Lloyd-Jones, or a George Burwell with all his enthusiasm following the Lord, and sending a guy off on a plane who didn't know anything about ships, to see if he could negotiate with the Greeks to get a ship that would sail around the world. And the guy was thumbing through the pages long before the the, the Logos or the Julos was born. Well, there's a Helen Roosevelt who at the age of 80 on Girl's Crusaders, was playing rounders. We have some remarkable people to follow. And what I'm saying is, stick with the keen Christians. And next, beware of the enemy. For I have often told you now, and say again with tears, many live as the enemies of the cross of Christ. Now Paul says this, secondary issues. We defer to one another in love. He, and David, will do, in, in chapter 4, two had, uh, had fallen out. And let this mind be like-minded, humble, okay, in our approach. But boy, when it comes to the fundamentals he stands, there are enemies of the cross of Jesus. We live in a day in a, where many people are, are, are Islamic friends, Friends on an individual basis, but the crown would teach that Jesus never died upon a cross. And therefore, somebody else's substituted in Jesus never rose again from the dead. We live in the t- uh, uh, today in a land where uh, traditional religion in the form of uh, conservative Catholicism and other ones would say this. No, that what Jesus did on the cross was not sufficient. It says this to the mass is a reenactment of Calvary. And this is offered half a million times per day around the world. Jesus is being crucified all over again. But listen to what the Bible says. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He has entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter the heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood that is not his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world But now he has appeared once for all at the end of ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Stick with the winners. Beware of those who preach faith plus works equals justification. It is by faith alone, and how wonderful that is. Here are some of the hints, and all I can just do is I'll email these to you because I want to get to lunch. But the focus on the character of God, okay? Focus on the character of God. These are some of the hints. Cultivate the company that you have. You've got Christians, really work with them. Keep yourself occupied. Pass the baton on. Rest confidently in God's spirit, even in your old age, and he will sustain you. I have made you. I will carry you. I will sustain you. I will rescue you. That's what God says. Leave your regrets with God. Be open to correction from God's word. Deepen your prayer life. This, uh, a few months ago I was in Cairo with, with my daughter Joanna who's going to be uh, going there in, uh, in January and I met with this godly pastor, there's a remarkable church that it has 8,000 coming through it, they only can meet with 2,000 at a time. But I met with this godly pastor and there have been many Muslims who have been coming to faith, in the last 10 years there have been more Muslims coming to faith in Christ than probably at any other time in the church's history. And I spoke with this godly pastor, and I said, well, how do, how do you do it? Well, he said there was a Muslim guy who came in to me, to see me. And he said, I have come to convert you and the church to Islam. And this godly pastor, Pastor Menens North, said, well, he said, I'm very open to listen. He said, I can't say for the rest of the church. He said, it's up to them individually, but what do you have to offer? He says, well, the text of the Bible is corrupt. He said, well, let's just leave that to one side. And then he said, um, how could God have these three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? Well, so we'll come to that later. And he said, and anyway, he said, how could God have a son? He said, well, we'll deal with that later, he said, from the Bible. He said, but what do you have to offer me? He said, well, he said, you've got to pray five times a day. He said, well, my understanding is that Muhammad went up to Allah. Allah said uh, 50 times, or on the way down he met Moses and he said five. And then this person looked at this Muslim friend and he said this. You mean I can only pray five times a day? He said, oh no, he said. The wonderful God that I know, I will want to speak to him far more than five times a day. Because he has done so much for me. He has loved me. He has died for me. And he wants to take us to heaven. Deepen your prayer life. Look forward to Sunday. And don't compare the, the past with the present. Do not say. Why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. And how right that is. But finally the perfection to be like Christ. Remember that our citizenship is in heaven. And the Apostle Paul goes on to say. Uh, uh, to conclude with these wonderful uh, words. Okay, As he looks forward. Who by the power Of everything that will bring everything under his control will transform our bodies or our lowly bodies as they will be made like his glorious bodies. Do you know one of the things that we have forgotten to do in the Christian world? We have forgotten to preach the resurrection body. So many Christians want now what they will get then. And the Bible says this that in the twinkling of an eye we shall be changed. When Christ comes, and I want to say this this morning. We not only have sins forgiven and a soul that is saved, but one day we will have a body perfect in every respect that will be raised to be with him forever. Trevor Knight uses this brilliant illustration. That because Christ is the first fruits of them that are raised, we shall raise also. We look and we see the shoots beginning to come through. Do you know what the Bible says? This Christ was the first fruit, and we know the rest of the harvest is on the way. As a Scargill, the Yorkshire miner used to cry these words in the Yorkshire strike One out, all out, one out, all out. And God says this He got one out of the grave. And when He comes, He will get millions out of the grave. And we will arise to walk in newness of life with Him, to be with Him forever and ever. He will transform our bodies to be made like Jesus. My father passed away of cancer, as did my sister, who came into a position of Christian certainty. And at the service we read these words, cancer is so limited, it cannot cripple love, it cannot shatter hope, it cannot corrode faith, it cannot eat away peace, it cannot destroy confidences, it cannot kill friendships. It cannot shut out memories. It cannot silence courage. It cannot invade the soul. It cannot reduce eternal life. It cannot quench the spirit. It cannot lessen the power of the resurrection. Hallelujah. Cancer is so limited. We have uh, one of our UBM leaders' wives who is so seriously ill. And we know this, that the difference that it makes is this. The resurrection. We're resurrection people this morning. And one day we will rise to be with him.